try to make up for it. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Lincoln for the lead. podcast on BamaInsider.com. My name is Trey Yannity. I'm joined with beat writers Tony Sukalis and Tyler Waldrup, part of the Bama Insider family. We will be delivering all things Alabama athletics. Guys, why don't you start by introducing yourselves and, and maybe giving us the rundown on, on what we look to do here with the T-Dub podcast. I'm uh, Tyler Waldrup and uh, you know I primarily cover uh, football and basketball and recruiting for Bama Insider. I'm Tony Sakalas. I do the same. Um, this is going to be my, I'm entering my fourth uh, season at Bama Insider. So, uh, you know, I'm really excited about this podcast. I think we're going to have a really cool thing and hopefully, you know, we'll have fun talking about Alabama sports and just kind of create a really fun, uh, I guess, environment and a conversation about, you know, football, basketball and any everything in between. I think you guys can attest to this, but in Tuscaloosa, sports is pretty much everything. Uh, and most of the time, it's it's a great atmosphere. It's a fun atmosphere. But this past week, things have um, taken a little bit of a negative turn with the uh, leaving of Scott Cochran, the 13-year veteran strength and conditioning coach. This really um, hit the community pretty hard and, and has left people questioning, where does Alabama go next? Let's hear your thoughts on, on what Alabama does and um, maybe, you know, what this means for the SEC. Tyler, if you want to get us started. Yeah, talk about a real downer to start with. And then, you know, obviously we're going to get to all the uh, positive news going on with the basketball program later. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for me, this felt like a – and I don't, I don't know if you all felt the same, but, but this felt like one of those – Years later, you'll remember kind of where you were when you heard about this as it pertains to Alabama football. Um, you know, I, I sort of remember when the news broke about, uh, you know, Kirby and then obviously the Kiffin news just with not maybe not because of the scale, but just because of the timing made it crazy. But, uh, you know, I, I was actually at the gym, you know, working out uh, of all places when I hear that Alabama's lost the guy in charge of all their workouts. Uh, but yeah, I, it just, it felt like one of those moments. I mean, you kind of knew this is a significant loss for Alabama. And for me, I just kind of had a moment when I thought back to sort of when Kirby smart, when you find out Kirby smarts leaving, I was like, you know, this is one of those big changes and Alabama can overcome it, but it's not, this is not going to be one of those blips where you go, Oh yeah, we just find somebody and replace a guy like Scott Cochran. There's just no, you know, replacing a guy like this. He almost is the the father of this program. He's the guy that's getting on the jumbotron before the fourth co- quarter and and getting the fans hype. Yeah, I I think it's kind of strange because we've never gone through this. I mean, not in the Saban era. You know, he's the longest tenured coach. Um, so we don't really know what an Alabama without Coach Cochran is. And uh, I think you know he's been described as the glue guy. And I I think really the biggest thing you're gonna see from him might come in in the way of just the mood of the team. And if you look at maybe, you know, possible transfers. I mean, Scott Cochran was the guy that after Saban came down on the players, he kind of was the good cop. 
you know, he was the guy that came in and said, you know, it's going to be all right, or, you know, just, you know, come on, shake it off, and, and just got them up and, and got players, you know, believing in themselves. Um, that's kind of the, the role of a strength coach. So you've, you've got to think whoever they're going to bring in is going to have that pump-up mentality, and, and it should be able to do that to a similar effect. But Coach Cochran did that so well that um, it's going to be really interesting. And, and you know, he's worked well with Nick Saban. And I think you also got to consider the fact that Burton Burns is out of the program. Those are the two longest-tenured coaches at Alabama, both gone same year. That's going to be tough just from, a, you know, a normalcy standpoint, really. I mean, if you look at it, you know, those are two faces that you associate with the Saban era and two faces that, you know, players have just kind of grown up with. And so not having them around, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know if it's, you know, doomsday, the, you know, the end of the dynasty yet. Because I, 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 I don't know how important this role will end up being. But it, it will definitely be interesting because we've never seen anything like this. Well, and, you know, doomsday, I think, is kind of a good way to describe, you know, how everybody was treating it um, here in Tuscaloosa and around this program. Because he had that father kind of mentality, that father role. Do you think the the loss of that, that personality in the clubhouse is going to be more detrimental than the maybe, you know, football fundamental aspects themselves? You know, I think, you know, the game's played on the field. I think that for the most part, I don't think this is going to be as crippling maybe as it's being brought out to be. I think it's more of a a holistic approach of what it will mean to the program and and maybe just long-term effects. You know, if, if things are going to go down, you're going to see maybe the locker room, you know, not be able to overcome adversity as well. Or, you know, how, how is the mood of the team going to reflect this absence? You know, if they're relying on his presence, you know, <laughs> I guess we'll kind of see how much they did rely on it. Um, that's the kind of things that's going to, it's going to make a difference. I don't think, you know, third and 10 the loss of scott cochran's gonna mean anything in a game but uh when you look at the the program as a whole i think yeah of course his absence is going to be significant because he's just been a part of it for you know what 17 18 years uh, uh, yeah when y'all talk about the like the support system and 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 sort of the the you know he can be the the good cop for the players the thing that strikes me is um uh, not you know years ago when Alabama would have less guys enroll early they'd bring up some of those guys or maybe even all of those guys and and they'd let them talk to the media for, on, on national signing day and almost all of them that I ever spoke with like the one of the first things they said is they talked about Cochran they talked about how hard it was but how great it was working with them most of the guys mentioned he was one of the driving factors in why they decided to enroll early as opposed to waiting to enroll in the fall. And uh, I think at this point, I don't think that's going to change. I think Alabama's kind of got a, you know, I think they've got it down where guys are going to keep enrolling early. But I think that's sort of the, like, Cochran's sort of the first point of contact for a lot of these guys when they get on campus. He's the, he's kind of the first guy that they get comfortable with on this coaching staff, really day in and day out. And I, I think that will have a long-term effect. And it doesn't mean that Alabama can't hire somebody that comes in and does a great job, supports the players, makes them stronger. But, you know, to say that the strength and conditioning coach isn't a big deal, especially at a place like Alabama, is is ludicrous. And not that many are saying that, but, you know, I think a lot of people, maybe fan bases of other teams, 
probably can't name their strength and conditioning coach. So they probably don't think of it this way. <laughs> and I, I think what you know hurts the most about this too is that he's now at Georgia. He's at an SEC rival and a school that Alabama will be taking on week three of the season. Another layer is added to that game. What kind of response does this fan base have when Scott Cochran returns to play Alabama early on in this season? I think that that game, what is it, week three or four is going to be it's going to be huge. Uh, it was already going to be huge, but uh, I think that that adds an, an extra element, like you said. Um, it's going to be weird since he's, you know, seeing him on the sidelines on the other side of the field. Um, it, it's also going to be weird, just little things like not seeing him come on the, the Jumbotron. It's almost like I wish that, they, you know, they'd still put him up there just, you know, because like it's so much part of the uh, of the atmosphere at Brian Denny Stadium. So um, that just adds, you know, it, it would have been a lot less weird if maybe he went, you know, to an ACC school or maybe out West, but you know, you're going to see him maybe once a year, depending on, you know, how these two teams go. And he's coaching, he's coaching on the field. He's not, not in the strength and conditioning role. That's, that's the thing that's sort of most surprising for me is, and, and you know, and then uh, Saban sort of remarks the other day, you know, he alluded, he thinks Cochran wants to be a head coach eventually. That's something I, as Cochran's been in the game long enough, I, I didn't think Cochran was aspiring to be a head coach at any point. If, you, if you'd told me that two, three years ago, I wasn't necessarily thinking, oh, Cochran's trying to position himself to be a head coach one day. And he's earned it. He's earned it. I mean, he's been at this role. If that's what he wants to do, I think earlier I said 17 years. Uh, I'm not good at math. It's been 13 years. But, um, you know, he's worked his way to this. And so I, I think this could be a, a good a best case scenario for both sides you know if, if that's where he wants to move if that's where his heart's at then I see Saban you know saying oh, well that we don't have a role for you at Alabama but go find a place that does have a role for you he's got a great connection with Kirby Smart and I think that you know he's still young enough that he could pursue this uh this career and it, what a great place to start at a powerhouse SEC school so um I like the move for Cochran if that's the situation he wants to go in and you don't want to have somebody on your staff that doesn't want to be at the position that he wants to be at. He can recruit against Alabama now. He couldn't recruit for Alabama before. I think that's a huge change. Um, you know, uh, I, I've spoken to a number of uh, guys, uh, guys that want to play for Alabama and guys that Alabama would like to play for or, or commit and sign with the Crimson Tide next year that, that visited as uh, on their junior day event at the beginning of the month. And uh, Cochran comes up when you talk to those guys. Um, you know, they're not visiting Alabama's campus to, like, see Cochran or talk to Cochran. And they're not, for the most part, they're not talking about, like, sitting down and having one-on-ones with Cochran. But he's a guy they look for and a guy they notice when they're visiting. So if he has that effect as sort of a background person for these guys while they're in the recruiting process, you know, I can only imagine how successful he'll be when he's in living rooms and when he's on the field. That being said, from a recruiting standpoint, it might not hit as hard if you think about it because the longevity of Cochran's career at Alabama is kind of cut to every four years. So if you're a recruit, you didn't necessarily grow up with Cochran in the program. He hasn't, you haven't, I guess you could, there could be the hope that that new guy, could serve in that same role and still be able to make an imprint 
on incoming recruits. And I think that that could be just as big if you could find someone that had that kind of personality, that electric kind of and draw people in, um, at least from a recruiting standpoint, uh, could could have a similar t- effect to what Cochran does. Yeah, Tony, I, I just think, you know, imagery is is everything. And, you know, with a guy that can grab recruits just by his stature and by what he's been able to accomplish at Alabama, it's, it's a tough loss. But a new image could possibly be gracing the streets of Tuscaloosa, a man named Aaron Feld, who has a pretty good-looking uh, little mustache on him there, uh, at the University of Oregon, is been the, the name that has continued to come up on social media now and, and kind of around the program. Do you guys think this is the, the next face of Alabama strength and conditioning? But what, what a face it would be. Uh, <laughs> for those of you not familiar with Aaron Feld, he kind of looks like a 1920s bodybuilder, uh, complete with the handlebar mustache, and uh, he's he's a, a wild character, and he's very electric, kind of the same way Scott Cochran is. Um, he's been Oregon's uh, strength and conditioning uh, coach the last two seasons, came from Georgia, believe it or not, you know, kind of full circle here, but he's also uh, a native of Homewood, and he's been a volunteer on Alabama's staff before. He was brought to Oregon by former Alabama offensive line coach uh, Mario Cristobal, who wanted him to kind of instill something similar to the fourth quarter program at Alabama. I mean, I mean, the fourth quarter program at Alabama to Oregon. So it's he's kind of a guy that knows what Alabama wants, and he's a hometown guy. Everything about it makes sense. Um, so, you know, could he be the quote-unquote next Cochran? It kind of seems like it's all signs are pointing to that. Yeah, and I mean, just you know, like you said, when you, I mean, when you look at the guy, you know, just the mustache, which is really how you should say it when it looks like that. Uh, but I mean, you know, when you look at the guy, when you want like see his energy, he seems like he could play a similar role to Cochran as far as when it comes to you know, marketing purposes for Alabama's program, the like. Eh, eh, a face people will remember for sure but the thing that stands out to me is the org the the way the ducks have looked the last couple of years with him there they've looked different they've looked tougher and some of that has been the way Cristobal's recruited differently and the way they play schematically but i think you got to credit some of this with how felds developed those guys in the locker room he's got this thing called flex friday and let me tell Tell me what you think about this, guys, because it's a little bit weird for me. But supposedly he has the last 10 minutes of workouts on Friday. He has his players work out in front of a mirror. It's supposedly optional. I, I read a quote on him, and he said it's optional, but so is winning the Pac-12 championship. So that's the kind of response you're getting from this guy. But uh, kind of weird. Uh, workouts in front of the mirror. What? Hey, if it works for the for the kids, and it, like, like you said, it might be working at Oregon. It's interesting. I think he'll bring some of those kind of fun ideas and that kind of ties back to, you know, winning the players over and creating that positive uh, environment when things can get kind of tough at Alabama. I think he just seems like he's so, you know, charismatic like Cochran. He he gets it, you know, and I think the mustache really ties it all together. Tyler. Well, I was gonna say, is it is that no doubt? I just think all signs like that are, quote are that you said, like it's optional, like winning the all signs. Those also are the kind of quotes you that want. The Cincinnati Bengals are going to draft that, Joe that's Burrow. That's the kind of stuff Cochran was but for. I mean, if you think back they know that his to the blackout game in Georgia, I mean, much smaller. He infamously said that we're in black because they're going to a, a funeral. 
they might have added a couple words in there that I chose to not say. But I mean, you know, that's the kind of stuff you want. That's the energy you want from a strength and conditioning coach. He's currently making three hundred and ten thousand annually at Oregon. Uh, Alabama was paying Cochran uh, close to six hundred thousand. So you'd have to think that he would at least, you know, kind of double his pay if he was to come to Alabama. Plus the Homewood factor with him being from Homewood it makes sense that he would want to come to Alabama, right? I mean, he's volunteered at Alabama before, you know, working without pay. So um, I think it makes sense on his standpoint. I think he, you know, knows Saban and Saban probably knows him. And um, so I think that relationship, it, it seems to be like the most effortless option. I think a lot of this stuff, when you talk about energy, uh, a lot of these strength coaches are going to have energy. It's kind of a strength coach thing. But I think what really makes sense uh, with this hire in particular with Feld is that his familiarity with Alabama as a program. No doubt. I just think all signs are, are pointing in this direction. All signs also point that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to draft Joe Burrow, but little did they know that his hands are actually much smaller than all of the other quarterbacks. Have you guys ever measured your hands? All these times covering the combine, I've never actually measured my hands. I, I have no idea what my hands measure at. I don't know. I, I guess his came in around 9 or 10. Is that not good? Is that not above average? I don't know. I don't – like, do we also have micro hands? I don't know. <laughs> I have never hands. done it. Tyler, have you have you measured your hands? I haven't. I feel like we're – I feel like we're venturing into dangerous territory. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So, no, what I'm saying is, like, does it matter? You know, you, you've seen – Joe Burrow perform on the football field. You've seen that, you know, I don't think the ball's ever slipped out of his hands, you know, all of last season. Is it going to just start, you know, is, is this hand size going to be a, a problem for Joe Burrow once he steps into the NFL? I don't think so. I think some of these things are, are a little silly when you look at them. No doubt about it. And I feel like so much of the combine has become more for the media and, and for fans to kind of soak in. Um, but it is a it is a fun event to watch. Henry Ruggs is trying to set a new forty record. He set all kinds of speed records in college. Um, one of, if not the fastest player in college football this past season. What are you guys' thoughts on some of these Alabama players? Does Tua go to Miami, like everybody's saying, or do they trade that pick? Where do where do these guys shake out? I think I'll start with Ruggs, right? I mean. Uh... The forty is pretty much the, the premier event of the forty. The the premier event, sorry, of the combine is the forty, uh, and it sure seems like Henry Ruggs is the star attraction of of this year's forty. Um, I guess the the real question is, will he break John Ross's uh, four point two two time, which is the record at the forty? Um, you know, previously Henry Ruggs has been clocked around the mid four twos, four two five. He says that he feels pretty confident that he could be the fastest ever. Um, I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong on a 40 that it's going to be tough to beat that 4-2-2 time. And, and it's going to be really interesting. I, for one, am, you know, I don't usually get all that excited about the combine, but this is sure exciting to, to see if he's going to break this record just because it's, it's almost like an Olympic event when you look at it. I mean, is, is he going to win this like this sprint against himself, really? Um, it's interesting, though. I mean, how many... And how many NFL Combine participants can hurt their draft stock with a 4-3 time? Henry Ruggs, if Henry Ruggs was to run a 4-3, he would hurt his stock. That's how fast, you know, people think he is, and that's how fast he is. If he was to, if he was to clock anything under 
uh, or, or over four three right now. Um, I think you'd you'd start getting people, you know, saying that oh maybe he's not that fast. It, it's crazy how these things work, and he's certainly created these really high expectations for himself. But I think it's going to be fun to watch. I think he's going to put on a show. I don't think he's going to break it because I think four two two's really fast. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he posts like you know a four two five, and I think that that's damn fast, and that could you know that could really get him kind of lock him into that top 15. I think if he runs a 425, I I don't see him falling out out of the top 15. Yeah, I mean the the 40 time, you know, uh I think even if Tua was throwing this week, um I still think the 40 time would would, would push that for the biggest the biggest Alabama story of the week. Um I mean cuz that's basically why we watch the combine. I mean, that's why a lot of fans watch the combine. Uh, you know, I mean, we watch everything to report on it, but still, like, I'm with you. The the only like, I watch all this because I have to. But the thing that I'm excited to sit down and watch is the forty every year, and Ruggs does absolutely have a great chance to uh, be the fastest this year. And traditionally, the fastest receiver at the combine is one of the first receivers taken. And that now they don't always have great pro careers, as John Ross can uh, attest so far. But I mean, I, you know. Forty time does equate to draft stock, and I absolutely think you're right that Ruggs needs a good forty time if he's going to be one of the first three receivers taken in the draft. How crazy is this for Alabama? Because they're going to have the fastest forty time this year, and then probably turn around with Jalen Waddle and have the fastest forty time next year. Talk about recruiting! If you could have the the fastest guy at the combine two straight years, I mean, what is now? I guarantee it's going to be Alabama speed you, you know, and I just. <laughs> Uh, what a win for Alabama that they kind of came out in different years and that they can kind of dominate the, this event for, for two years straight. But it'll be interesting. Uh, Tyler, I know you touched on, on Tua. Uh, it's going to be real interesting to see how his medicals uh, shape up. It, everything seems to be looking good for Tua. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised at this point if he goes, you know, number three to the, to the Detroit Lions. I, I think that, you know, that's becoming more and more of a realistic position for him to fall I think you know everyone was kind of penciling him in with the Miami Dolphins but if I'm the Lions and you know Stafford Stafford's a good quarterback is he going to be the guy that's going to take you to the to the promised land and and is he the guy you really at his age now like want to build your franchise around I kind of like the idea of the Lions taking to it with the number three pick what do you think I mean it's not just it's not just is uh can Tua be a better pick than Stafford is right now for the Lions or, or worth spending the draft capital. Stafford's not healthy. Like, with that back issue, I mean, he missed the end of the season. And, and you know, it, it was kind of sudden. I, uh, I can't remember. I think it might have been the Thanksgiving game that he was just, uh, the night before, he was just suddenly, uh, Stafford is unlikely to play. And, I mean, you don't miss four, five, six games with a back issue unless, you know, it's serious. It's not like, oh, he's going to sit out two games in a lost season with a back issue. He missed a solid chunk of the season. And and to my knowledge, you know, there's no guarantees that even if he's good to go at the beginning of next year, that he's going to be good to go to finish it out. We don't know how serious this back issue is. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it absolutely could be possible that uh, if I was the Lions, I would definitely uh, give Tua a look at three. And t- you mentioned his medicals. Tua's going to be full go for his own pro day in April. Right. Yeah, so March 9th, 
Tua is going to be able to be cleared for football activities. And then he's scheduling a pro day of his own uh, on April 9th. So he has a whole month to kind of to get ready. I think that's enough time. And I think uh, that's a perfect time to kind of re reignite his hype uh, right before the draft, heading into April. You know, if he can have a lights-out showing uh, at his pro day, which I expect, um, you know, if, if things are going the way that we're reading them, that that they're going, um, you know, I, I really think it'd be hard for the Lions to pass to up at number three. How often are you going to get a quarter, be in a position to draft a quarterback like that? You know, the quarterbacks like Tua don't necessarily come out every year. Not every draft class is, you know, you got two guys in, with Burrow and Tua that are, you know, they at least look to be can't miss guys. I don't know if I want to pass up on that year. If I'm there, I don't want to be the guy that passes up on Tua Tungvaluwa. And I, I, I ultimately wouldn't be surprised if that's the reason why the the Lions just take the pick and, and pick him. No doubt about it. And not just Tua, uh, but so many of these Alabama guys looking to make a splash in the first round of this draft. Let's talk about the receivers we've hit on Rugs, uh, his forty this week. But where does he go? And and even more so, where does Jerry Judy end up um, in this draft? Here's an interesting proposition. What if Ruggs does so well at the at the combine that he jumps Judy? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but uh, wouldn't that be kind of wild? You know, I think at one point we thought Judy was going to be a top five guy. It'd be crazy to just to think, and it's not even a knock against Judy. Uh, it'd be crazy. To, what if Ruggs were to do that? You know, and if Ruggs, you know, tears up uh, these on-field workouts. I, there's at least a small chance that he goes. I mean, some team might look in the top 10 and just be like, well, this guy just has all the measurables. He has the stats. I've seen him on film. I'm going to I'm gonna pick him. Why Why not? Who would y'all take? Would you Would you all consider taking Ruggs? If he, let's say he sets up, he's a 4-2-4 four, four on the 40. Would you consider, would either of y'all consider taking Ruggs over Judy? I know I just said all that, but I'd still take Judy. I think I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if Judy runs in the four threes, which is going to really like, you know, we talk all this time about uh, about um, Henry Ruggs' 40 time, but what if Judy runs in the low 4-4s four or, or, you know, high 4-3s, kind of does what Julio did. Um, I just think with his route running ability, and I, I think he's a more polished receiver. I think they're both great. I think they're both I, – I, I personally would, would draft Jerry before Ruggs, but I think it's probably closer than you would have thought, um, you know, maybe a while back or, you know – heading into the season or something like that I mean if I had to answer that question I I don't think you can turn down the playmaking abilities of Jerry Judy but there is something to be said about that that just natural speed I mean this is the fastest player we've seen in a long time so I I think it depends on you know what you need as a team you got to look inside um, your organization I think it's really interesting to see what these NFL scouts look at it's it's so much deeper, so much different than maybe the you know what the common fan or even what the media is looking for, um, but I, I just I don't think you can take a guy like Jerry Judy um, or excuse me a guy like Henry Ruggs before Jerry Judy simply because of the first step and the second step that Jerry Judy has and the abilities after the catch. What would you do, Tyler? Would you take Mister Ruggs before Jerry Judy? Uh, nah, let's let's make it three for Judy. I, I would, I, I will say that what was interesting is um, uh, around the midpoint of the season in October, I uh, I do remember listening to uh, you know, uh, and I don't remember which particular uh, scout, but I remember listening to uh, at least one or two NFL scouts, um, you know, do some interviews, and they were some guys were talking up rugs and saying that 
you know, the way Ruggs was looking so far, he might be the best receiver to take over Judy. And that that and and these scouts um, were reporting that there was some buzz around teams that teams were looking at Ruggs and Judy uh, on more of an even playing field than I think a lot of fans would think about right now. Um, because I, I I think watching those two play on the same team the last the last several years, you know, Judy maybe asserted himself the fastest, and I think fans sort of always thought of and, and it's even hard for me to you know watching the games you sort of think of Judy as the go-to guy and Ruggs is like a step below, but at least at one point, supposedly those guys were viewed kind of the same. And, and I think honestly, if you look at how they both finished the year and, and, and finished their careers at Alabama, Ruggs made up a lot of ground on Judy. Um, so I, I, but that all that being said, I would absolutely take Judy over Ruggs. There's, there are two <laughs> receivers that can do multiple things. I mean, both guys can go over the middle. They can play in the slot. They can both play, uh, outside they, they've got tremendous hands they both can jump i mean you're not going to go wrong with either of these guys like i said they're, they're top 15 guys shoot maybe top 10 guys um there's also another good receiver out there in cd lamb at oklahoma too we might be <laughs> debating for the number two receiver but um i don't think w- with any of those three guys i really don't think you're getting a, a, a bad receiver i think you're getting an elite receiver and somebody that could be the number one receiver on your team Alabama basketball in January was given a 97% chance to make the NCAA tournament. They have now taken a turn for the worst, uh, losing, I believe it is three out of their last six, um, and, and some weird losses as well. They have just fallen, not even 24 hours ago, to the Mississippi State Bulldogs on the road. Alabama is not looking like a tournament team this year. I know you guys are, are um, covering the team most days and getting to see the insides. What's going on with this group? Why is this team not succeeding the way that maybe we thought they would be at this point in the year? Yeah, it's a team that's been hammered by injuries. I mean, they've lost every like it just every turn has has been accompanied with an injury. They lost James Rojas, a JUCO forward that was going to be a, a guy that they could use to, and Jawan Gary, another guy at the same kind of three position that they could have used. They lost those two guys at the beginning of the season. Uh, Quinterly didn't get his waiver. That's a starter. you know. So you had two guys in, in Gary and Rojas. I think they're bench contributors, but but quality bench contributors. Quinterly's a starter. Then you had Herb Jones miss some time. He's still not at 100%. He's playing with a cast. He's doing his best. and you know He's had his moments, but he's not at... at a hundred percent and then now you know in a game that you had to win on the road against Mississippi State you got off you know to a six-point lead in the first half and then John Petty Jr. you know hurts his arm and it's just like this team's not destined to make the tournament you know give me any kind of percentage I just don't think this team's going to make the tournament and uh it's just because it's not in the cards uh, if you look at you know every turn they've you know <laughs> they've drawn a blank and it's not necessarily Nate Holt's fault. It's not uh, necessarily the player's fault. All of it. I mean, they do have parts to blame. You know, everyone's contributed to this, but if you look at it, a lot of it's just unfortunate events. I think if, you know, this Alabama team was at full strength, it'd be a lot different team. You know, I think this is a team that might have 20 wins already. Um, it's just, it's been, it's been a tough go. Tyler, you covered the game last night. Uh, what, what do you think? I mean, how can you... The biggest takeaway has to be 
John Petty and and what Alabama and I'll get into it in a minute, but Alabama's not actually out of this thing yet. It, Alabama still has a chance to. I I, I Alabama can. That's optimistic, Tyler. I, no, no, no. I, I I don't think Alabama has the is capable of pulling it out, but the schedule Alabama has left is manageable enough that the the tide can get enough wins to sort of play their way back into the conversation. But but to go back to Petty. You know, I mean, if he doesn't come back, then yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's basically a wrap, probably. But and it, honestly, if if Petty stays out there, um, I think Alabama beats Mississippi State, and I it may not even be that close. Uh, you know, Alabama score Alabama's very first basket. Um, Petty drove in and kicked it out to Kyra, who drained a three, and like that's what Alabama's offense should have looked like last night. Those two guys. Uh, you know, just feeding each other, you know, and you mix it, you know, you mix in guys like Herb Jones and, uh, and Shackelford and everybody else. But like throughout the year, Alabama needs Petty and it needs Kyron. It needs both of those guys out there. And, you know, when, when Petty went down, uh, you just saw Alabama's offense just sort of funneled, it, you know, it, it felt like Alabama's offense just suddenly, uh, got more conservative and things weren't working and it just you know you see guys like Alex Reese with the ball more and that's a scary <laughs> sight at least it was at least it was the other day Alex Reese is not somebody you want driving to the basket uh it was rough last night and and I think he's a, a good player I think he's gotten a tough rap um from the fans he's kind of you know a lot of people came down hard on him, especially after last night, because he didn't have a good performance. But he's not a guy right now that you want driving to the lane. And and, and he's really just kind of a spot-up shooter from three, which which kind of eliminates him as a quote-unquote big on Alabama's roster, because Alabama doesn't really have a guy right now. I mean, Javian Davis a little bit, Galen Smith a little bit, but they don't really have guys they can throw down and, and get points in the paint. Um, and I think that's really tough. So, like, you mentioned... John Petty, how are you, you going to get the easy buckets or the points in the paint? And John Petty is somebody that can drive. They don't have a lot of options. That, you know, it, it, you looked at it uh, the other night, and it was just Kyra Lewis driving to the basket. And then if that's not the case, then it was somebody spotting up for three. I mean, there really wasn't a lot of diversity in the offense without Petty. And I think, you know, to kind of, you know, tally on to Tyler's uh comment right there i think that without john it's going to be really rough i think snake bitten is a good way to describe this team like you said tony at every turn they have had some kind of misfortune that has has led to some losses down the stretch here but tyler you, you said it this team still has a chance they're uh, they're still in it as of now but what's the expectation what's it going to take to get there is it an sec semifinal? does that get you a bid or do you have to win the sec can they win the SEC? Well, if they win the SEC, I guarantee you they make it. <laughs> well, the, there's there's no way. There's no way this team wins the SEC. The, uh, so, but so Alabama's record is what? Uh, 15 and 13? 15 and 13. Yeah, 15 and 13 after last night. I mean, you know, Tony, you kind of, uh, you know, you kind of put, put it out there uh, a couple weeks ago. You predicted uh, things to go down a little differently last night, but... You said Alabama should feel good if they get to what nineteen wins. I said eighteen or nine, but the, you know I also had them winning a quad one win against Mississippi State, 
and I had them not dropping a winnable game at uh, home against A and M against uh, yeah home against A and M. So I, I I don't feel as positive. So if Alabama goes, we'll say they win their next three, which I don't think is automatic. So I I think the you're being a little bit optimistic if you think they're going to win their next three. So but let's just say they do. They finish eighteen and thirteen, ten and eight in the SEC. They're not in at that point. They probably have to win how many you know two games in the SEC tournament, and then we're still talking about them as a bubble team because they don't necessarily have the quad one wins. I think uh, it would depend on. I guess you rack those up in the SEC tournament if you get a win, but you know, it it'd be nice if. For Alabama, if you know LSU stays as a quad one win, if that doesn't happen, then you know you might not even feel good at that twenty mark. I don't, I don't know how the bubble is going to shape up, but I mean, at this point, Alabama is not even in the bubble consideration. So maybe they need three wins in the, you know, in the SEC tournament. So I, I don't know. I, I right now, I just don't, I don't see it because I, I don't see them going that far. I don't see them winning all three games remaining and then winning two more. In the SEC tournament, I, I think it's it's tough, um, it, uh, especially with if Petty's out uh, to 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 they have a home against South Carolina, which this week which will be a quad two win, and then uh, believe quad three games, uh, home against Vanderbilt. The Vanderbilt one's a given, yeah, yeah. and then at Missouri, and I mean it, it, if you're gonna if you're gonna end the if you're gonna if you need to go three and zero. Aren't two of the teams you want to see in conference play Vanderbilt and Missouri? Yeah, but what about this Alabama team says that they're just going to go in and beat Missouri? And, and you know, I kind of feel bad because I said that the Vanderbilt one's a guarantee. But actually, the way this Alabama team plays, I mean, if they dropped Vanderbilt at home, I mean, I'd be surprised still because this Vanderbilt team just doesn't have it. But I wouldn't be that shocked. I mean, this this Alabama team is, is you know, thin in depth and it's kind of unpredictable and it's found ways to lose. Uh, I do you really think that they could go win three three and zero? I guess it gets easier. You know, you, you get past this game against South Carolina, which I think will be tough. If you can win that, you get some momentum. You beat Vanderbilt, and then maybe you're playing for your life at Missouri. You can pull that off, and then you have a lot of momentum heading into the SEC tournament. That's the kind of like if you really want to be an optimist, put on your crimson colored glasses. That's the way you look at it. I just. This team's not, you know, this team I think's got one five-game winning streak this season, and this doesn't seem like the time where they're just gonna pull it out. Like they don't seem with with John Petty coming off an injury, you still got a banged up Herb Jones. Is this the 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 point in the season where you're like, oh yeah, they're primed for a five-game run? I mean, we can keep the, this this podcast will be recorded. You can go <laughs> back to me if they do a five. I will, you know, I will eat my words, but I just don't see that happening. So do we look at this, you know, as a failed season for Alabama or does Alabama come away from this looking at some positives? I don't think it's a failed season at all. I think I really, you know, as as pessimistic as I am about, you know, maybe the rest of this season and how it's going to play out. I think Nados has done a tremendous job with Alabama. Like I said, he can't control some of the misfortune he's faced. I think you can see a difference in the way Alabama plays. I think they're a very exciting team. I think from a recruiting aspect, uh, if you're a guard, you want to play for Alabama. I mean, you get to score, you get to shoot threes. It's fast-paced. 
I would want to play for Alabama. I think that's going to attract some some talent, and I think that Nate Oates is going to be able to build a team that's really exciting to watch. I I think he could have had a very exciting team, you know, if maybe just half of the misfortune happened this season. Uh, so this falls apart. It's more, I guess the taste that you have in your mouth is sour this season, but it's more because of what could have been and less because of the dissatisfaction with, you know, how it played out. I completely agree. First, I mean, yeah, first year with the new coach, uh, no matter where the team was last year, you have to reset expectations. And the team, you know, it wasn't in the worst place, but it's, you know, the last year of Avery Johnson was a lot like the previous years of Avery Johnson and sort of the end of Anthony Grant's tenure. Um, The product in the court looked different, but year after year, from a win standpoint, Alabama was sort of always in the same spot. In the NCAA tournament in January, completely off the bubble by the the first week of March, which is uh, admittedly where Nate Oates finds himself. But I do think you got to, you know, this is the first year with Oates. And I think, you know, Alabama scored 103 points against Ole Miss. If for nothing else, if you're going to win the same number of games this year, at least, uh, you know, if I'm a fan of Alabama, at least I get to see some games like that. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, Avery Johnson didn't have half his team, you know, get injured. So I think that that's it's just you can't really judge Nate Oates on this season. And, and I think that he's a smart basketball coach. I think he's a guy that we're going to get to see how he recruits. And... um I think between those two things, I think he's really good, and I think he's going to – I'm really excited about the future of Alabama basketball. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Um, and I, I really do think that this is going to be a premier SEC team. Just you're going to have to wait until he can kind of get his guys back and, and uh, kind of build with you know the familiarity now of, of his system and, and kind of get more of his guys in and just really kind of let his product show on the court. Nate Oates has a plan for Alabama basketball, and we have a plan for this podcast, but that is about all the time that we have for today. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the Teed Up podcast on BamaInsider.com. I'm Trey Anity for Tyler Waldrop and Tony Sukalis. Thank you for joining us. You can catch us weekly on Spotify and Apple Music. This has been a production of BamaInsider.com.